Okay, so hi, everyone, and thanks for joining the Badass Women in Business podcast, where I interview interesting and successful women in business so we can all learn from their experiences. Today, I'm joined by Sue from the board, as she's known at Box, otherwise known as Sue Barsamian, who is a badass. Sue currently serves on the boards of three public technology companies, that's Box, Five9, and Gen Digital, and several private tech companies, so Gainsight, Exactly, Onfido, and Pangea. Did I say that right, Sue? Yes. Yes. Good one. Thank you. And uh, prior to entering the sort of the board of director world, she spent 35 years at various early stage and Fortune 50 organizations where she had a really impressive variety of roles. She spent a decade at Hewlett Packard, um, where she was chief uh, sales and marketing officer for HPE Software. She was the GM of the enterprise cybersecurity products business and SVP of the indirect partner business. And then before that, Sue was vice president of global go-to-market for high growth uh, Mercury Interactive and SVP of marketing for Critical Path. And then she also held various leadership roles at Verity. That's a lot. Um, so thank <laughs> you so much for joining us today, Sue. Appreciate it. I think that long list uh, is reflective of my age, Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, I have a few questions here. So um, if it's okay, we can just dive right in. Yeah. Good stuff. So Sue, you are on the board of, I counted them, six companies. Um, what does the role of board member entail? Great question. Um, and first of all, it's also great to be here. And Amanda, thanks for the opportunity. Um, so the board role is, is very focused. Um, you have responsibility for three core things. Uh, the first is governance, which particularly in a public company like Box um, means oversight to make sure that the company is running as it should and that the board is assessing and evaluating all risk factors. Uh, the second is helping the company to develop the long-term strategy for sustainable, profitable growth. Uh, and the third is to make sure that the company has the right CEO. Um, you know, the board, we have a saying, it's, it's heads in, fingers out, um, which means the board doesn't run the company. The CEO runs the company, which is why one of the three core responsibilities for the board is to make sure you have the right CEO. And everything else is really oversight and governance. Got it. And so how often would you guys meet? Is it once a quarter at a publicly traded company? Yeah, you know, board meetings once a quarter, committee meetings at least once a quarter, and then, um, you know, lots of usually calls. And, um, you know, I happen to live part-time in Menlo Park, which is close to Box. So it seems like I am on a monthly basis, you know, walking or having a coffee with any number of people, you know, from Box or doing Zoom calls. So it's it's a combination of structured and unstructured. And while that was a Box example, that's pretty typical of the other boards as well. That's great. Um, and then is there a difference between being on the uh, board of a public company versus a private company? Yeah, there is. Um, from a board meeting perspective, it's pretty consistent. The private companies, depending upon their stage, and I've got private companies, I've got one that is actually pre-revenue, so very, very early stage. And then I've got private companies that are, you know, 150 to 200 million in revenue. And, um, you know, the smaller privates, 
don't yet have like formal committee structures, whereas the later stage privates, because they're getting ready potentially to be a public company, start to put those committee structures in and it starts to feel much more like the cadence of a public company board. Got it. Um, so that's a lot to, to do kind of, and you're technically in retirement, right? So, <laughs> which is crazy. Um, do you, do you find, how much time do you spend, um, on each of the companies you work with? Cause yeah. it's kind of depending on the maturity of the company, I think it might be different. Yes. Well, and as my husband always reminds me, I'm not retired, which is true. I'm, I'm retired from being an operating executive for sure. Um, but you know, but board work is work, um, yeah. with a little bit more flexibility in your schedule. You know, I would say a board, uh, you know, each board is somewhere between five to 10 days a quarter, you know, multiply that by the number of boards I'm on. And you see that, you know, it's a, it's a real workload, albeit I would say not anything close to Amanda, how hard I know you're working. Um, but it's, you know, it, it is work. And then, if the company is any in any particular cycle, like a, an M&A cycle or something, you know, the work can double or triple for a period of time. So if you're on, you know, the number of boards that I'm on, usually one, sometimes two at any given time are in a more intensive cycle. Wow. Um, and that's a good point. You are not retired. You are just in a different type of, uh, type of <laughs> position. That's great. Um, so how did you end up coming to this point in your career? Well, you know, kind of accidentally, to be honest, um, you know, I worked as an operator for 37 years, really heads down, and I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And I didn't really decide, I retired at 50, 58, and I didn't really retire, uh, decide to retire from being an operating exec until I was 57. So you can see that I was you know, I was kind of all in. And then, you know, one day you just wake up and you're like, you know what, it, it, it's time, it's time to go do something else. And my last year was probably one of the most intense years of my operating career. So I kind of, you know, went to my goodbye party, woke up the next day and I was like, wow, maybe, you know, maybe I'll do boards. Um, being incredibly naive, to be honest, for that stage in my career about what that entailed. I don't advise people to do it the way I did it at all, um, but it worked out. And literally a week later, I got a call from Kelly Kay at Hydric and Struggles, who I had done a lot of work with about the box board. And I knew Aaron already. Um, and, you know, and so I joined Box five and a half years ago. It's been a phenomenal board. And from Box came other boards. So now I have, you know, I have a great portfolio of, I only focus on SaaS and cybersecurity boards. Um, but it was honestly, it was pretty accidental. And I, I thank my lucky stars that I started with Box um, because good things, you know, good things happened from there. That's great. And I didn't know that. I didn't know we were your first. That's that's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. So um, how did you get onto your current? So let's forget about the board stuff, but obviously, uh, you know, the, the whole yeah. preamble, right? You ended up in all of these incredible positions, uh, particularly at uh, Hewlett Packard. Um, how did you get onto that path? And also, also a little bit accidental. Um, I was, uh, I'm from Kansas. Uh, I, I am still very connected to Kansas. I go back all the time. 
And I was an electrical engineering graduate in the early 80s. And um, I did summer internships, one with IBM, one with Motorola. And uh, what that resulted in was by the time I graduated in electrical engineering, I knew one thing which is that I didn't want to be an electrical engineer, um, which was a little bit of a problem. Um, so I went off and I did a postgraduate year uh, at an a engineering university in Europe and came back and moved to Silicon Valley because in those days, um, I would say the liberal arts degree of Silicon Valley was engineering. So you were surrounded by engineering grads. These days it would be computer science grads, but in those days it was engineering grads. You were surrounded by engineering grads doing all the different roles in the company. And so I, because I didn't want to, you know, code or, you know, do hardware engineering, uh, I went into a customer support role, uh, ultimately a technical product marketing role and ended up having a career where my engineering background was really, really valuable to me. I was a pre-sales engineer at one time. You know, I've done basically every role in go-to-market, um, but with a firm foundation in kind of understanding technology, but never actually did, you know, engineering. So you went out to Silicon Valley. What was the first job you got at Silicon Valley? Well, my first job was uh, this uh, customer support job. Um, you know, right before I, right before I went to Europe for my postgrad year, I actually did about seven months in the management development program of AT and T, um, which in those days had about a million employees. This is before the breakup of AT and T, so it was quite a big company experience. And then when I came back from my year abroad and and went out to the valley. I, I, I was kind of targeting, you know, more small to mid-stage companies and, um, you know, did customer support, then technical product marketing, spent some time in, um, in the networking business in the really early days of networking, but really very quickly pivoted into a career in enterprise software. And when you look at my, my career, it is enterprise software for the most part. What was appealing about that? What made you say, okay, I, I want to get out of this hardware side of things, networking and get into software? Um, you know, there's just, um, there's something about the pace in software. And and by the way, I, I love my hardware background, right? I, I, I say, you know, some of the best years, I, I um, some of the best learnings as a software executive was the time I spent on the hardware side because you have no margin in hardware, right? It's 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 not like software where you've got a ton of margin. And honestly, people get a little bit more lax when you have a lot of, of, of margin. Hardware businesses tend to be, um, you know, because the really slim margins really, really disciplined. And I, I think you gain really good general management skills as a result, but um, software moves faster. Um, it's just, you know, faster, it's more exciting. It's where, you know, it was, the, you know, shortly after I kind of started, you then ended up with in, you know, the mid nineties, the internet and Mark Andreessen and software is going to eat the world, which it, it did, I would argue. Um, so it was clearly the place to be. 
Um, and uh, and I loved I loved the pace and the excitement. Great. Yeah, it sounds it, it just sounds like a golden era for Silicon Valley. You know what I mean? Like maybe things are, I don't know if things are the same. I, I think it's much more distributed now is what I would say. Right. Sort of. But yeah, um, you know, it um, it was amazing. What was amazing about it? And I, I, I love I love Silicon Valley and I, I, I always have and I always will. Um, but you know, in those days, you could uh, you could drive around the Bay Area. You and I were just talking about traffic, Amanda. Um, you know, I used to live in Mountain View, work in Fremont, and go for after dinner drinks in Sausalito. Uh, you, you know, that would be a normal day. And you know, you just had kind of you had the full Bay Area at your disposal um, with I don't know twenty percent of the traffic you have today. So it that aspect of it was pretty fun, I have to say. Uh, really, it really does sound great. Um, so of all the senior roles you've had in your career, what was the one you enjoyed the most and why? Um, great question. I, I have had so many roles that I really loved and I've had a lot of different roles, even though I, I, I tend to stay at a company for, you know, often eight, sometimes 10 years. I, I usually change jobs every two years. Uh, and I've had a lot of really great roles. Probably my favorite um, was when I ran the cybersecurity product business at HP. And what's interesting about this is Meg Whitman was the CEO at the time. And our, our cybersecurity product business was about a billion dollar revenue business. And Meg came to me and said, hey, Art, who was a great guy who was running the business, is going to move on. Uh, I'd like you to run the business. And I said, I... I know nothing, like zero, about cybersecurity. Um, and she just looked at me and she goes, yeah, you'll figure it out. And, um, you know, it was probably the best example of um, if you can't beat the fear, just do it scared, right? I, I went into this business and, and cyber people tend to work in cyber their whole life, right? It's a, it's a subset of software and hardware where people are in cyber for their whole career. And uh, I came in, you know, running the business, having never been in cyber um, and just absolutely loved it. I mean, I went to school like I was in college again. Uh, my husband was, you know, would laugh at me because I would be reading cyber books like every night, every weekend. Um, but it was probably one of the most exhilarating things I've ever done because we had a ton of change to drive in the business. I had such a steep learning curve, but it was just, it was such an enormous challenge. And I, I just am connected now to the cyber community, which really is a community. Um, I'm now connected to that community for life which is, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about the people, whether it's the customers that I had or the people that I worked with. It's like a really important part of my life today, which I'm really forever grateful for. That's great. Um, and so Meg tapped you on the shoulder for this and said, you'll figure this out. You spent a long time working for her, for her to realize that, it, right? Like you, you built up the credibility, it sounds like. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All right. So um, what was your first real job? You said, I think you said it was, it, no, it wasn't customer support. Well, well I guess my job. first real job when yeah. I was 16, I was a grocery clerk. Um, 
you know, a checkout girl, which, uh, you know, today I can, I can never go to the grocery store without bagging my own groceries, which <laughs> does surprise people, but like, you can't ever take that out of me. Um, but yeah, then, then I started in Silicon Valley and I started on the, you know, the customer support hotline and, uh, you know, all these, all these jobs when you're young, I think have such an impact on you and the skills that you learn. And, you know, one of the things I learned being on the customer support hotline, which was really, really simple, but really followed me my whole career, which is it, it what matters much less, it matters much less the time it takes you to resolve the problem. What matters more is the time it takes you to communicate to the customer what is going on and to continue to communicate to the customer what is going on. And, and it, it surprises me how many people don't get that. And like you submit a problem and they wait to respond to you until they have the answer. And it's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I feel like it went into a black hole. I just want to hear from you. And so that discipline of communication is the number one thing here. Yeah. It really was, when I look back on it, a, a really important, like kind of core part of my DNA, my whole career. I I am um, I hear that you know uh, fun fact uh, this podcast is not about me it's about you but um, I did spend the summer of 1998 working in uh, customer support for 3Com Europe oh, yeah. Dublin right after they bought US Robotics and there was some kind of issue with 56k modems <laughs> so we ended oh, up yeah I we ultimately we just had a sack of replacement modems. In- <laughs> by the cubes and we'd just be like, yep, got it. And we'd just send out replacements, but uh, solving problems in the you 90s. Know, it, it's, <laughs> it's so great. My favorite, my favorite customer support story, and you'll appreciate this in networking, it was a modem. Um, a Naval Air Station in California was like dead on arrival. And I had to literally jump on a plane, fly down there, um, go on site, and in five seconds, I plugged the modem in because the plug had come out of the wall, got on the plane and went back. <laughs> I mean, I just, so a lot of our listeners, you know, were, were born in the 90s and don't understand what we're talking about. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So, uh, so cool. Um, so what was the best career decision you ever made? Um, probably just being willing to have a nonlinear career. Um, you know, I, I had a great career. I hadn't, as I said, I would typically change jobs every two years, but I was also willing to step out. Uh, and there was twice in my career, once after my first daughter was born and once after my second daughter was born, where I kind of stepped out of corporate jobs and just did consulting. And, you know, I was um, I was consulting like 40 hours a week, which as my mother would tell me, you know, honey, some, some places in the country, 40 hours is a full-time, you know, full-time job. But, you know, to all of us in the Valley, I felt like I was working part-time and I worked with some great startups. Um, I ended up consulting after my second daughter was born with Mercury, who I ended up after consulting with them for uh, quite some time, I ended up joining them which was one of the best, you know, job decisions of my life. Um, But, you know, just the chance to kind of take a break. And I didn't 
I didn't exit entirely. I kept, you know, I kept my my foot in the game, um, but just got off, got off the hamster wheel, you know, for a while. Um, I think was re-energizing for me in both cases. That's a great. Uh, it's a great point. Although I, I would, I do think a forty-hour week. Uh, that is a job. Who was your best manager across your career and, uh, and why? Yeah. Um, well, I've been fortunate to have a, a number of amazing managers and just given, you know, given my age, as you can imagine, some of them were female, like, you know, the, the opportunity to work on Meg's team, but many of them were, most of them were male, uh, just because that was the structure in, in those days. And um, it's hard to pick the best, but I, I usually say Tom Hogan, uh, who was my job, my boss when I got acquired uh, by we, HP acquired Mercury and I came into HP and he was my first boss at HP. And um, he is uh, one of my best friends today. Um, I'm in very close contact with him after all these years. And he, you know, he taught me a lot of things. Um, one of the things I'm really grateful to him for is um, my first SVP job. And, you know, SVP jobs in these big companies, you kind of go from, you know, director to VP to SVP. And, you know, the, there's a smaller, a pretty small number of SVPs, even at a company as big as HP. And I was applying for a role and, you know, kind of, kind of thinking it was going to drop in my lap, like, many of my roles had. And, you know, he called me one day and he said, you know, this is a big deal, Like, this is a really big job. It's a really major step for you. And you're just not taking it seriously enough. And if you want this job, it's not going to fall on your head. Uh, you've got to, you got to go for it. And it was a really good kick in the pants for me. And um, it was a role reporting to Ann Livermore at that point and ran the enterprise business um uh at hp and it was in her organization and i you know i knew her i she was in tokyo i called her on her cell phone and i said you know i'm i just want you to know how much i want this job and here's the three reasons why i think you should put me in this job they were running an external search for the role um and i was the internal candidate and and she was leaning towards going outside and, you know, just called her on her cell, <clears throat> probably woke her up in Japan, but said, you know, this is why I think you should give me a shot. And she did. And it turned out, it turned out great. Hopefully turned out great for me. I, I, I think it turned out great for her too. <laughs> so do you feel like, uh, Tom was just, uh, like it was the kick in the pants that you needed? Um, or yeah. like, that that was it that's totally. kind of it, that being willing to be really direct with the feedback yeah and that's yeah. that you know honestly that's what you need from great bosses right they they support you and they shore you up but they push you right and he he pushed that's just one example but he pushed me continuously um and i just i became a much better executive uh on his watch that's great um what key piece of advice would you give to our listeners on building a successful career? Um, really, I think it boils down to one thing, which is exceed expectations in your current role. Um, 
And when you do that, uh, good things happen, uh, you know, and I would say against the backdrop of be at a good company, be in a market that is growing, right? You want to make sure that you are positioned for success because you're in a good growing market like software, uh, now SaaS, um, uh, and you're at a company that is poised to take advantage of that. And if all of those things are true, you are in the path of opportunity. And the best thing you can do to capture future opportunity is exceed at your current role. And, um, you know, I, I was never a big career planner, um, but I was extremely focused and always, you know, pretty good at exceeding in my current role. Subsequently, if I look at my 37 year career and the 20 or 21 different jobs I had in my 37 years, I applied for two of them. My first one and the SVP one that I just told you about and all the other roles I got pulled into either within the company I was already working for or by colleagues who I had worked with formally who pulled me into a new company. And, um, you know, that's just, it's kind of the way it works when you deliver um, and you exceed expectations. So I, I think sometimes we overcomplicate it, um, but that begets the most opportunity of anything, I believe. That's, um, that's great. And yeah, I like that. Like, don't overcomplicate it. Just do well at the job you're in, right? Like it's yeah, and people notice, and people want you to do a bigger job. It's just kind of the way it works. What is the one skill that you have? I think you kind of touched on it a little bit, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, what is the one skill that you have that you believe has led to your success? Um, I think it goes back to my engineering background. Um, I love to solve problems. I love to analyze problems and um. You know, if you if you take a step back and you you say, hey, what's the job of a leader? Uh, a job of the the job of a leader is to drive positive change, right? You you inherit something, you need to leave it better than you found it. You need to understand what's the issues are. You need to be able to address those issues, and you need to mobilize people behind you to you know drive that change. And that requires analytical skills to dissect the problem. And then it requires a lot of, you know, you know, inspirational influencing, you know, skills to kind of get people to do what needs to be done. And, you know, at HP, we had to do this in spades and the problems were really big uh, at HP. And sometimes they were multi-year solutions. And so it was really important to be able to break things down so that people could have wins every six months. We used to say uh, mile by mile, it's a trial, yard by yard, it's hard, inch by inch, it's a cinch. So, you know, as a leader, and, and it's so true, right? But as a leader, you had to take really big, hairy, multi-year things and break them down into, okay, guys, you know, here's where we're going but this is what we're going to do in the next six months. And then we're going to have a party and then we're going to go do the next six months. And then we'll have another party and we'll do that six times and we'll be done with the project. Okay. Mile by mile, it's a trial. Yard by yard, it's hard. Inch, inch by, inch, by inch, it's, it's a cinch. cinch. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> One of those <laughs> truisms. <laughs> um, 
what is your main fault? Um, I would say perfection is the enemy of good. Uh, and it, it also goes back to my engineering background. Um, you know, you're very detail oriented and, um, and I do believe that, especially when you're a problem solver, understanding the detail is important, but then distilling that detail up to the three things that really matter so that everybody doesn't have to ingest all the detail is really, really important. Um, and, and if you understand the three things that really matter, it also enables you to do and focus on a smaller number of things because you really understand the critical success factors that are gonna move the needle. And I've, I've had my share of situations running pretty large organizations where you know, I was in this hamster wheel of driving change and I actually burned the team out because I just drove so much change and too much change. And when you really look at it, it's like, you know what? I could have had the team do half as much because that there was half of this that really were the critical success factors to driving the outcome. And half of this was, yes, nice to have, but didn't really move the needle. And so I think the job of a leader is to make sure you don't get bogged down in detail because that's when you burn out your teams. You need to focus on the things that are gonna really produce the change that you're looking for. And that's hard. It's easier said than done. And I learned that, you know, I learned that through failure, to be honest, which is the way we learn most things, isn't it? Um, yes. So, uh, you know, I'm, and I'm thinking of how, how you think, so it's sort of to summarize, it's kind of, it's as a leader, you want to prioritize what's most important and then everything else, it doesn't matter. Right. That's yeah. right. It doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, and sometimes just with my background, it was hard to let that go. It's like, yeah, but we should do this too. And oh, we should do this too. And it's like, no, just do this. What inspires you most? Uh, well, look, um, I would say probably just like you, Amanda, which is why we are in the jobs that we're in. Uh, I get inspired by winning. Um, I really do. And I and and that is is pretty multifaceted. That might may sound a bit um uh a bit, I don't know, um one-sided, one-dimensional, but for me it's multidimensional. There's no um professional high for me like winning. Um and one of the things I loved about leading sales teams is, you know, you wake up every quarter and you start over. Um, and, you know, and if you love winning, I mean, so, some people hate that, but if you get off, you know, if you, if you get excited by that, you love that. Right. Which is, Oh, we, we got to go do it again. Um, but I also, there's no substitute for me in working with people and leading people when you're winning, um, just being on a winning team, the highs that you get from that, you know, you also learn a ton in the trenches when things aren't going well, but you know, the hard times are no substitute for the good times in my, in my mind. Well, sometimes you have to get through the hard times to get to the good times. Yes, you can exactly. look back at the hard times and be like, we did it guys. So, <laughs> um, so uh, if I, th I, one of the questions is if you didn't do this and could do anything, what would it be? But it kind well, of sounds easy. Like you, 
Yeah, um, that's easy okay. for me because um, before I went into electrical engineering, I wanted to be a journalist. Um, and my mother told me, and I have a great mother, but at the time, you know, she told me, um, journalists don't make any money. Uh, you should go into engineering. And, um, and you know, it's it's all, my, my life has worked out great, but you know how like those early passions that you have, I still kind of like, you know, wonder, gosh, what would it have been like to be a journalist? And, you know, I love current events. I love the world. Um, you know, that if I, if I could rewind, I don't know that I would do over, but if I could do an additional career, I would probably try my hand at journalism. I mean, you could just do it now. Well, just hand you know, it on to the six board. <laughs> Your mom just also... <laughs> Just I, want newsletter. I, I want to be a frontline reporter. I'm probably a little old to start my frontline reporting career. <laughs> it's never too late. All right. It's never um, too late. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, you mentioned you live in Menlo Park and then also Park City, Utah. Um, but if you could live anywhere, aside from those two places, where would that be? You know, if I could live anywhere I'd want, I'd live in Park City, Utah, and Menlo Park. I it's It's been very carefully curated living where I live. Um, so I've only been in Park City for five years. Uh, it was a very intentional decision. Uh, we initially did it as just a second home because I really I love the Bay Area. Um, and now I'm uh, I, I'm two thirds to three quarters here and 25% Bay Area. And I travel, but there's nothing. I, I love coming home I, uh, to Park City, to Menlo Park. I just love those two locations and I feel really uh blessed um that I can call both of those home that's great um okay and uh two fun questions uh number one what is your favorite podcast you don't have to say this one <laughs> Amanda's podcast of course <laughs> yes um well I guess two categories so um I listen to a lot of podcasts when I exercise um, of things that are actually also shows, but I, you know, like Squawk on the Street, I usually listen to it on a podcast. And then I guess on on true podcast form, and I, I've got a ton that I listen to, but probably Planet Money is one of my favorites, uh, just because you, you know, you get something different uh, every time. It's not just, you know, the business and the tech sector. So um, I like that one. That's great. And then final question, what is your favorite business book? Um, oldies, oldies and goodies. Um, I've, I've, I'm probably like you, I've read like probably hundreds of business books, but my go-to favorites are 20 plus years old. Uh, Jim Collins, Good to Great, because oh, yeah. I think those mm -hmm. fundamentals of it's, you know, it's about the company, not about you. It's about who you hire. It's about addressing the elephants in the room and being ruthless on the facts and disciplined execution with clarity of goals, right? I mean, you know, just like what's not to like about all of that. Um, and then my other one, which is equally old, um, was something that really changed my personal productivity paradigm, um, which that's kind of a mouthful, but it's David Allen's Getting Things Done. He did a lot of work in the early days for Microsoft and their, you know, employees. And it's just all about, honestly, how to manage like your inbox. And today, I guess it would include Slack and everything else. But like, how do you manage 
an ever-increasing volume of things that are vying for your attention? And how do you prioritize those into things you're going to delete, things you're going to do right now slash today, and things you're going to do next? Um, and especially as my jobs got bigger, as you know, we all go through that, and, and then just the workload becomes overwhelming. And you need to continue to assess your personal productivity paradigm. And that was, for me, the most pivotal book uh, in helping me to do that. Right. Um, I must reread that because I know I read it because I feel like I have some of those principles with how I try to manage yeah. things. And but, he's uh, done it. He's yeah. done a new edition because, again, it's ancient now, like 20 to 25 years old. But he's done a new edition, which I should go back and reread as well. Yeah, I think I need to know how to not react when Slack makes that noise. Um, I don't think so. There's a noise that it makes when the Slack comes in. I'm like, oh, what? What is it a thing yeah. I need to do immediately? And it's retrained now. So, yes, of- exactly. You're right. All right. Well, listen, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for for all of the great answers. Uh, Very impressive journey. And um, I'm just uh, delighted to know you. So thank you, Sue. Appreciate it. Amanda, thanks for doing this. Great to see you. All right. Take care.